0: Good evening, everyone. Recording this during the day today, we got to catch up on the rest of our month in review here. I want to remind you, we're sponsored today by Calm. Go to calm.com/slash capspace to get unlimited access to all of their content. Calm can help you meditate, sleep, and relax. They're the number one app to do that. And Goat. Go to goat.com/slash capspace to find the perfect 100% authentic sneaker. All right, why don't we get right into our awards? These are the ones that we have done a little bit more whimsical that we have made up. And by the way, tweet me at Nate Duncan NBA if you think there's a fun category that we could track in these monthly awards that we haven't come up with yet. But why don't we start with the one award that does actually exist in real life, Executive of the Year.
1: I went with Masai Ujiri at the end of November. I am going with Masai Ujiri again. I mean, the other part of this that has strengthened over the course of this season is just how important getting Danny Green in what was thought of as the Kawhi Leonard, DeMar DeRozan trade was. I mean, Green has been excellent for them. The concerns about him looking kind of done last year looked like that was more injury-based than anything else, and he has since recovered from that groin injury. And they have really good depth pieces. The swap of Dwayne Casey for Nick Nurse was certainly tough, considering it appears Casey was loved in their locker room, so that was another good executive decision that counts. So I, I, there are a lot of a lot of GMs that had good years, or at least you know were, were more positive than negative, but I think Ujiri has the best case.
0: Yeah, I went with him a, as well, and the <laughs> as we mentioned, in part maybe due to the salary cap situations around the league being so impacted, there wasn't a ton of turnover. The Lakers obviously got LeBron, but we didn't like what else they did there. And I don't think you deserve a ton of credit for getting LeBron to go there. You know That seemed like it was more just about the external situation with the Lakers than the internal situation. So I'm still sticking with Donnie Nelson, whoever you want to say, Mark Cuban, whoever you want to say is in charge with the Mavs, just being aggressive, getting Luka Doncic. They are better this year didn't really care for the deandre jordan siding that much but at least it was only one year and it's interesting that as we'll see in our not executive of the year that the draft features so prominently here I and mean, luca looks great i'm still i don't want to go like too overboard on on how good i think he's gonna be i think he's gonna be very very good but you know he does have some flaws at this point but yeah i think just being able to get him when they started off fifth in the draft seems like it's a move that's paying off they are better this year so in the absence of any other amazing candidates. I did go with uh, the Mavericks managers, whoever you want to say that is.
1: Yeah, I, I think for me, the Jordan signing, you know, not that it was a bad use of cap space, especially considering they have flexibility moving forward. Wasn't my favorite. And they did give up a first. I mean, I think that was a worthwhile gamble it looks like they're actually going to give up a pretty good pick, you know, from Atlanta's perspective, a lot of this is just going to depend on how Trey young turns out because that pick, you know, could be somewhere in the eight to 12 range. And I, I can't speak necessarily though. I have a podcast with San Vecini coming out about the draft. Like I can't speak to how good those picks are going to be at this early point right now.
0: Yeah. And I think they did well to get it top five protected also. Uh, so he was your uh, Mavs are your number two as well.
1: Yeah. I, I, I would say so. I mean, the Luka decision is one of the bigger ones. And also because a lot of the other front offices that had drafts I liked just didn't have as successful offseason. Like, for example, drafting Jaron Jackson fourth was a very good pick, but the rest of Memphis' offseason was less inspiring. I mean, Kyle Anderson isn't looking like a great signing for the amount of money that they gave him and a, a few of those other type of things. So there isn't really like a, a draft based standout. And there weren't really that many big swings this year. And the Lakers actually are another. Great great example that big swing got got a big fish but then the rest of it was just a little bit weird so yeah I, i think for right now it's it's ujiri the mavs and then kind of everyone else
0: Yeah, so we do need to come up with a third. Despite the Jimmy Butler noise, I am going to stick with Elton Brand for now because they do have the Sixers playing pretty well, but he certainly, if they can't improve the team more between now and the end of the year, he will not be on this list. Uh, But really, there's nobody else who popped out to me as really... I'll give you one. Yeah, okay.
1: John Horst. I mean, the biggest thing that they... The the biggest thing that they did was signing, was getting Mike Budenholzer, but that counts. You know, to me, that's a part of the executive decision. I do also like the trade that they made, giving up the first to not only dump Deli and John Henson, but to get George Hill, who can help them. I think that was a a good move for them. Brooke Lopez for the, he was the 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 middle level. Brooke Lopez is the one. That's the, one of the best signings of the entire year. So yeah, I, I think I would, I would give them the, give John the third spot right now.
0: Yeah. Now, how much of that actually is John? That's interesting question uh certainly some of the moves that they have made would indicate that uh bike mudenholzer as a uh, more of a voice there uh, to be sure and it seems like him getting hired might be more of an ownership thing than a john horse thing especially if you know he was given a, a voice in personnel Ilyusov, we didn't really care for hill we'll see how that ends up looking right whether he actually helps them or whether maybe they could have gone in another direction with that trade to get someone who didn't used to play for bike mudenholzer in san antonio who will actually help them more than George Hill. I'm not sure that George Hill is a difference maker for them at this point in time, but certainly something that needs to be mentioned. And much as it will pain you and me to say it, if the Spurs keep playing this way, R.C. Buford is going to have to be in there. If uh, San Antonio has a 10 net rating for the rest of the season, as they have since December 1st, then, you know, it's going to start looking pretty good despite the fact that we just pan the shit out of their offseason. So we may have to eat a little crow on that one if this keeps up, but uh, I'm not quite going there yet with the Spurs team.
1: Yeah, let's give it another month Month or two. And but if they if if they earn it, I mean, I'm I'm happy. It's a lot better to admit that you're wrong when it's because somebody outperformed expectations than when they underperformed because that's just the double bitterness. So, we'll we'll see if that actually works out. Do you want to transition into the one that you have so eloquently described as not executive of the year?
0: Yeah, I think so. And last month uh, I had Daryl Morey and Tillman Fertitta as number one. Uh, you know, Obviously, ownership plays into this a lot. So, And for them not spending... The fact that Houston has been able to right the ship, they've made some moves like House rivers that have helped them a lot of it of course is james harden just going out of his mind and they don't deserve any credit for that but they're 23 and 16 now they have been a little lucky to get to that 23 and 16 so i have them fourth this year not executive of the year i mean they still have really declined a lot james ennis hasn't really worked out yet with the health perspective they really uh, had a lot of problems at backup big man earlier in the year Nene coming back has helped that a a little bit so my number one right now is the sun's executives they've really struggled uh, again this year the trevor ariza thing did not work out in the slightest he got traded at the earliest possible moment Ryan Anderson who they brought in has been nailed to the bench after the first 10 games or so but most importantly to me was passing on Luca. I think that was pretty ugly and Mikael Bridges has helped it's too early to say whether he is going to be a good enough player that they should have given up number 16 overall and that unprotected 2021 Miami pick as well but that was not a move that we liked at the time just from a pure asset play probably not the way to go especially when when your bridges isn't really a high upside player. And I, I know they feel like they needed some more mature voices in the room and bridges has actually helped them this year, but it's just, it's way too early. You know, he could stagnate two years from now. He's not really a high upside guy. I don't see him as like a real impact defender. I think he's more going to be a solid guy on both ends. And it, it must be said, though, that they at least got something for Risa in Kelly Oubre, who may, may be able to help them and may be a part of this team going forward, his restricted right. That's worth something, whether that's worth more than they could have gotten by just uh, trying to sign someone younger who could be a part of the team longer or just trying to take on bad money and get more future assets tough to say here uh but I think the biggest thing is just the Luca uh Aiton thing and then number two for that exact same reason to me are the Kings uh and Brandon Williams we talked about how it, it seems like Williams has been the biggest voice there again you never really know that well but Williams was also in the news for his clash with Dave Yeager he doesn't seem to have won that public battle he's been away from the team for some time to defuse tension Sam Amick wrote about that for the athletic theathletic.com slash cap space but Again, I mean, Aiton at least has looked pretty good for what he's supposed to be. And Bagley, yeah, I guess he'd be number four in Rookie of the Year right now. But uh Aiton at least has a position, which Bagley doesn't even necessarily have. Now, Aiton may not be able to defend his position very well, but he at least in theory has a position. And you know, again, given how good Luca has been, I think it's pretty difficult uh to really agree with what they did there, despite the fact that they added Bealitsa and they've actually looked better this year. Uh, other than adding Bealitsa, they didn't really do anything this offseason that's helped them.
1: So I. Have- have the the sons at the top of the this bottom list for a, a couple of reasons that I want to add in other than what you said. So one thing that you need to consider for the Suns, yeah, they walked out with DeAndre Eaton and Mikael Bridges is interesting, and but think about the resources that they started the offseason with. They had the number one pick, they had the number 16 pick, they had the number 31 pick. I don't love Eliakobo from what I've seen so far. I'm not I'm not willing to, I haven't seen enough enough of him to really write him off or anything like that. But then they also dumped Jared Dudley for Darrell Arthur so that they could have enough space to get Rashawn Holmes. Holmes, you know, he's a capable player, but he's basically one year on the minimum for them. They cut Shaq Harrison for some reason. he's
0: horrible. He's horrible defensively, by the way. He is. He is is like an order of magnitude worse than Aiden defensively at this
1: point. And while I would argue that the Devin Booker max extension looks better to me now than it did when it happened, they still gave up a meaningful amount of flexibility a year early for a reason that still seems nebulous. You know, like he was still going to play there and there was a season of turmoil. What What almost got the Suns out of it for me was that they Kokoschkov I still like what he's what he's doing overall there I mean we're still evaluating and all that and getting DeAnthony Melton in the trade with the Rockets I, I think he can help you know he's been a bigger part of their season so far than I think anyone anticipated just because of need but cutting Shaq Harrison you know like all these kind of weird things like they made this worse than it had to be and they gave up a lot to do so and so that's why they're there but I want to mention some other teams too the one that's actually my second is one that you didn't mention and that's the Cleveland Cavaliers and Kobe Altman, another team that just kind of stepped in it unnecessarily. They gave Kevin Love that huge extension, which looked bad to us then and looks worse now. I mean, granted, you can't control injuries. And Larry Nance, I think they paid him too much money. You know, he was still basically coming off their bench until they until they had so many guys get hurt that he started starting. And Colin Sexton was never a huge fan of him, still not a huge fan of him. And so just the they, they didn't. do. I like what they did during the season, you know, getting something for over getting a first round pick to to take on some salary in the, in the Bucks trade. I'm fine with those things, but they took on some serious long-term obligations when they absolutely did not have to.
0: Yeah, they were my number three as well for all of the reasons that you said. Oh, oh can
1: I add one more thing? Uh, it's funny. I actually had the Kings. I, I had the Kings at four, I think. I, di- I didn't get once I got kind of far beyond, but what was really funny about them is they got kind of saved, quote unquote, by Bielitsa for me and and Bielita was a guy that shouldn't have been available because he originally agreed with the Sixers. So the best thing they did, other than, you know, maybe not firing Dave Yeager, was getting somebody who the deal fell apart with someone else. But they still did a good job to get him and Jaeger for playing him.
0: Yeah, and playing him at the four Going into 2019, I bet a lot of these stressed out NBA executives uh, could benefit from Calm, especially with us just killing them left and right uh, on these shows. Calm is the number one app to help you meditate, sleep and relax. My wife is definitely into calm as well. She's a, a yoga teacher. The meditation aspect speaks to her, helps her get to sleep. And it really, for me, when I don't get enough sleep, I'm a completely different person. And a lot of times, especially late at night, you know, we'll record late at night. We just watch a bunch of games. My mind is racing. It's great to be able to relax and get to sleep. So... There's sleep stories, which are bedtime stories for adults that are designed to help you relax before you doze off, are really useful to just kind of turn your brain off a little bit. You can head to the lavender fields of France with Stephen Fry or explore New Zealand with Jerome Flynn from Game of Thrones. They've also got guided meditations on issues like anxiety, stress, and focus. The way to get started with them is at calm.com slash Capspace, which will get you 25% off a Calm premium subscription, including hundreds of hours of of programs. That's 25% off at Calm C A L M calm.com slash cap space, easier slash cap space, because we talk about it all the time here on the program. Give yourself the gift of Calm and start 2019 off right. Once again, that's Calm.com slash Capspace. Let them know with that slash cap space URL that you came from us. All right, let's move now to another fun category here. Best sophomore. Uh, last month, I had De'Aaron Fox and Ben Simmons, and I will stick with that again this season. Uh, I don't think anyone else has really been close to those two guys. And with Fox having kept it up for another month and it really being the main engine of the Kings, i uh, and the biggest part of their surprise season, I'm going to stick uh, with him.
1: I'm going to stick with Simmons over Fox, but there is a, a big separation between those two guys and everyone else. I think Fox has been more valuable, but to me, Simmons is the better player. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Simmons for right now. But yeah, I mean, those two guys are really important players on the team Foxes. I mean, as you said, like he's such, he's the linchpin really of, of their identity and what makes them work so well. So yeah, I mean, I have, I have no opposition to you having Fox over Simmons. I'm just the other way for right now.
0: Yeah. You know, we did it on the best prospects with Fox having done this now for almost another month. I might be ready to actually move Fox over Simmons uh, as a prospect. Uh, Maybe not quite yet, but uh, it's uh, I just uh, the ceiling on Simmons just really scares me. And I think Fox has just so much going for him as a prospect and where he can get to as a player. Um, I in third, I'm not even sure who it'd be. I guess like Tatum, Mitchell, maybe, you know, he's had such a disappointing season, obviously. Um, Okay, here we go biggest surprise team of the season.
1: So I I think there are kind of a couple ways to, to think about this question. And I focused more on the period of time since the last time we did this. And for that period of time, it is absolutely the San Antonio Spurs. I mean, the Spurs, we've talked about their offense, you know, they're their number one, number one in effective field goal percentage, despite taking that shot mix, which is decidedly not where the NBA is going because they have amazing talent and they're getting better shots in those areas. But but the other part of this is, and this is, I think it has been even more pronounced in the small part of January that we have in the sample is that their defense has also been way better. I mean, cutting the glass has them. So that filters out garbage time has them eighth in defense since December 1st, which is shocking. They're a plus 11.5 net rating during the time, which is completely bananas. So I think the Spurs are the biggest prize and they're getting, the sample is getting big enough that I'm fine. Like kind of talking about them as a big surprise for the season on the season track. I also want to mention the Kings, obviously, I mean, they're blowing past their over under and doing so with largely similar personnel which is really impressive and then the other team that would have probably won this award comfortably for me for December if the, if it hadn't been for the Spurs was the Denver Nuggets and now, now Denver's a little bit different because it's not like they were ridiculous in December and they outperformed their point differential by a ton but they did so dealing with injuries that I thought were going to completely sidetrack them and so that is really impressive to me and that was a really big surprise I thought it's like oh man it's going to be a other year Denver's right in the mix and they you know but they just got hit with bad injuries at the wrong time but nope they went through and they're 12 and 5 since December 1st
0: yeah since December 1st they've actually won 2.9 games more than expected so you're right they have been a little bit lucky and also only 21st in defense since December 1st of course with Millsap missing much of that time only a 1.1 net ratings incentive but you're right they've they've done well to stay above water there I mean I think I I looked at it more from a season-long perspective to me Milwaukee is the clear number one I mean they've been a nine net rating, they're winning at a sixty win pace. That's been above what I thought was the best they could possibly be this season. Even though we did think that they would be better than expected, uh and they've just kept up. I mean, they they had that great start, and then they fell off a little bit, went about five hundred over fifteen games or so. But they're right back on track at this point, and the numbers are still good for them since December first. uh Sacramento has got to be number two to me. I mean, I think they are. Four away from the season long win total that I predicted of them already. So, certainly got to give them some credit there. I-, I lowered Denver down a little bit just because they haven't been playing quite as well. And it, we'd feel a lot differently about them if they were 24 and 15 as opposed to 27 and 12, which is wh- more where their point differential has been. Uh, Memphis was in there last year uh, or last month. They have had just a dreadful time of it. Uh, they're, I think, now 3 and 12 in their last 15. They've getting blown out as well Dallas has fallen off a little bit to some degree as well they're at 18 and 22 so the Spurs would probably be the number three to me I mean just I never expected their overall season long numbers aren't like that far ahead of where I thought they'd be although they're still pretty damn good uh but yeah to have even just like one month of playing as well as they have is just completely I mean the number one offense by like a, I mean, they're like a 119 offensive rating since December 1st. I mean, that's absolutely crazy. So I think certainly if they keep up this level of play until the end of the season, uh, then they're going to rise up here. But I'm going to stick with Milwaukee. They've been doing it all season, and, and they've been the most dominant team in the NBA. And I, I probably would have had them as like, you know, the eighth best team in the NBA uh, starting the season.
1: There's one other team that I want to mention, and that's the Indiana Pacers. I mean, the Pacers are in this mix more firmly than I ever anticipated. They have the, the league's number two defense overall for the season, plus six net rating. That's like a 56 win team, which is really impressive. And when you watch it, I mean, especially considering they already played some without Victor Oladipo, they gave, they were judicious, it seems like, with the the rest they gave him for that knee issue. And they survived that stretch better than I expected. Their depth is looking good. And so for them, it's, it's more, they're kind of more in the, like, slider surprise category, but because of where, kind of how confident I was and where they were, I want to give them some credit.
0: Let's move on to surprise player right now. Last month, I had v- Nikola Vucevic number one, JaVale McGee, number two, and Derek Rose or Pascal Siakam, number three. Siakam has just continued to get better. He's my number one uh, this year. He, I just didn't, granted, this is his third year, but I didn't think, I mean, you remember even the, in that early game in the season, I was like, what is this guy doing trying to do all this dribbling? And, you know, a good team is going to stop that and blah, blah, but no, that's actually not the case. He's been outstanding his three-pointer is coming along as well very solid defensively I think he's taken some strides forward there as well as a one-on-one guy that, where we used to get physically overpowered a little bit more I, we haven't seen that as much this year and, and just his touch around the rim and passing has been a revelation so he would be number one for me I still would have Vucevic at number two he wasn't going to be able to sustain what he was doing the first month of the season but he's still having a, a wonderful year and while he's always looked better in the traditional box score stats he has been really the one solid offensive player Player on that team. My third is Blake Griffin. Uh, more even just because of how he's done it. Number one, just staying healthy. But number two, just uh, the way he's been. He, you could argue that he has a larger offensive load than basically any player in the NBA. And he's hitting like step back threes. I mean, just like his skill development has been amazing. Arnovitz wrote a, a pretty good piece about how he's doing in Detroit, but also uh, talking about his regimen to try and improve. So I, I've uh, he would be my number three, and I've got a few more guys to watch. But I'll I'll let you uh, chime in here.
1: So all of those guys are on my list. None of those guys are my number one. And this is a different kind of most surprising player. It's not, you know, the big jump that you like, that you and I both like of a guy moving into a, a, a big echelon. But my number one is Thomas Bryant. I mean, I just didn't think Thomas Bryant was much, you know, like when he got claimed off waivers by the Wizards, I'm like, okay, you know, that's fine. He has started the last 25 games for the Wizards doing really well, not only statistically, but just just he looks like a like a. An NBA player, and I'm not saying he's yeah. like a top 15 72%
0: center. true shooting yeah. for Thomas
1: Bryant, 21.5 per. You know, 15, 16% usage is not you know that's not a ton, but they don't need him to do that. And the on-off metrics really like him. Some of that, you know, the Wizards, the Wizards have had some terrible bench units. He's been starting, so he can benefits from some of that. But I didn't think this was in there at all, and so I think that's to me like it's kind of like the Siakam thing where they they've gone to a different level. Like I thought maybe he's a flyer type guy. Like I mentioned that and somebody some Wizards fans got mad at me early in the season I'm like oh man you know the margin between Dwight and Thomas Bryant is much bigger than between Otto Porter and Kelly Oubre I was 100% wrong like I just didn't think Thomas Bryant was this guy also Dwight wasn't wasn't great during his time this year but I was really impressed and so he's there the other ones I want to mention I don't want to go too overboard on De'Aaron Fox just because he was destructive last year but he was a, a, a young point guard on a terrible team you know but he looks just so much better as a basketball player. And I didn't expect him to be this much better. Like, this is a much bigger jump than you usually see from year one to year two. And then the other guy I want to mention is Miles Turner. I had kind of soured a little bit. You know, I thought he was just going to be this jumpy shot blocker who can't rebound. And, you know, some of those misgivings are still there, but he has become a much better overall defensive center than I anticipated a year ago. And so I wanted, he's not in kind of the same category as Blake, where he's really showing a lot more than I ever thought, because I was a big believer in Turner, but his defense is an extremely important part of what the Pacers have done this year,
0: yeah, I'm I'm in agreement there. Turner, so and I I consider hopefully he can get back healthy from the broken nose and and uh, the shoulder injury. Uh, Bryant was on my list as well. Another guy we really should watch closely is Derek White, who just has come yeah. out of nowhere to be really good uh, the last 15 games or so. And Marcus Morris another guy, is just shooting the shit out of the ball right now. Um, some people might say, you know, say that Emmanuel Moutier is one, but really, you know, he hasn't been that efficient and what he has been, has been on unsustainable shooting uh, on twos away from the rim. So I, I'm not sure that that's going to sustain really, uh, you know, that whether he is fundamentally that much different of a player than he was before. And obviously the Knicks defense is terrible. He's uh, a willing part of that, Shall we say, um, And then Derek Rosio was in here, but unfortunately, he's just been hurt a lot recently. And yeah, I mean, the way he shot the ball seems a little bit unsustainable. That's obviously a very big surprise, Uh, but it's not a surprise, unfortunately, that he's been hurt. And so if he can get back and finish 60 games at the same level, then yeah, he'll he'll be more in the mix for me. Uh, Biggest disappointing team so far?
1: I was surprised that there aren't as many, especially now that Houston is looking more like themselves, that there aren't as many of those just like really debilitating, frustrating ones. And so I ended up going with New Orleans, even though a big part of why New Orleans has been so disappointing this year is just that they're they've been so bad in close games. And a lot of that is it's a make or miss league and that sort of thing. I mean, AD has been a spectacular clutch, like offensive player over the course of his career, but he had a rough, I think, like three weeks. And so people were killing him and all that kind of stuff. But they're, you know, when you're underperforming your point differential by 4.4 wins this, you know, halfway through a season, that's why they're 19 and 22 and 19 and 22 is very dangerous for them as a franchise even if they're getting healthy they're getting marriage back they have these mitigating factors so i went with them Uh, i'll mention you know the wizards to an extent like i just didn't think their defense was going to be this terrible and they've looked better than i expected after john wall went out which actually probably shouldn't surprise me because the same damn thing happened last year and no no, it
0: didn't i think that's like that they looked better or that they were better without him
1: no they they looked better than i expected no 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 No, i thought I, i Oh, no, i no. misinterpreted. No, last year I thought, oh, John Wall's John Wall's out. They're they're done. Like they're absolutely done. And then they're like, oh, they're actually kind of fun, and they're they're winning more games than I expected. No, 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 they're not better without John Wall. I I don't think that. But they are better than I anticipated, and that's you know it's, it's about shifting your expectations. So overall, this has been a pretty disappointing Wizards season for me. So I guess, but the, yeah, there really aren't that many, especially. Well, the other team, if we're going to talk about underperforming relative to win differential, I feel like I'm going to take your team, which is the Utah Jazz. But I don't know. I, I think they're figuring it out. They're kind of like the Rockets where they I think they are the team I thought they were. It's just that they're kind of taking a little bit longer dragging their feet and they played a hard schedule.
0: Yeah. Now they're going to have uh, they got massive injury concerns at point guard for the next couple of weeks with Rubio and, and X amount. Yeah. New Orleans and Utah both figure prominently for me. Washington at 16 and 25. I mean, we thought that they were a dead bang for sure. Playoff team. Part of that's been health related with Wall, Howard. I mean, they've had a lot of injuries. And they've actually gotten better than expected production for some of their deep bench guys. We talked about Jeff Green yesterday. Sederansky has always been an underrated solid plugger that they can put in there. But to me... I'm still going to go with Houston. Even after they're back at 23 and 16, they have won more games than their point differential would suggest. They've won 1.8 games more than expected. And I mean, their overall net rating on the season is plus 1.4. I mean, that's still awful compared to where we thought they would be. We're looking at this season as a whole. I do think they've righted the ship. A lot of that's been hardened just getting to an otherworldly level, but that's still a massive disappointment. I thought this was a 59 win team this year. So I, I thought they would be, you know, 7-8 net rating type of team so maybe at the end of the year they won't be in this category but especially when you're talking about teams that are supposed to be at the top of the league uh, yeah they've played better lately but looking at the season as a whole it's been a massive disappointment to me for Houston so uh, with all due respect to even Golden State, Washington, New Orleans and Utah I'm still going with Houston.
1: For most disappointing player I am exempting Chris Paul this month because he's been injured so much he was I believe he was my pick last month and you know the, his season is still concerning but now he's out with a hamstring stem so I I'm gonna I'm gonna leave him by the bye for now and well, I, well
0: for Paul uh, like is it the fact that he hurts the thing that he always hurt again can that be part of the disappointment?
1: Sure, I'm I'm fine with that. I chose not to include it. You are welcome to. Yeah, if there was a most concerning player, I think that he could he could win that award as well because he's really in that mix. Though Houston, because the idea that Houston can do what the way they've succeeded over the last few weeks with Harden going supernova, I don't think that's as sustainable in the playoffs if Chris Paul isn't Chris Paul. So yeah, that that's fair but I want to mention some other guys Brandon Ingram I mean so (laughs) I remember there was a lot of crowing and remember I was high on Ingram as a prospect about last year when he shot 39% on threes this is his now now I've obviously we're early small sample size because he doesn't shoot enough of them 29% from threes rookie year 39% last year 29% this year so we're not sure of it still a small sample all that kind of stuff and his three-point attempt rate has somehow dropped this season which is crazy and the other reason why he's been disappointing I mean I didn't expect him to mesh particularly well with LeBron but we've also kind of seen that. And it's kind of funny to have him and Andrew Wiggins who both had strong games in their most recent game, but Wiggins has had another another disappointing season. Somehow his true shooting is actually lower and his PER is lower despite taking more threes and making more of them, but that's because he doesn't do a lot of the other stuff. So, those were my top 2. I've other guys, but I'll let you talk.
0: Yeah, Wiggins at least finally, after last night's ridiculous game in Oklahoma City with 40 points. And by the way, I'm glad that it seems like Nerland's Noel is okay. That might have been that play where Wiggins went to dunk on him and elbowed him in the face and then he got knocked out cold, like right in the air, and then hit his head on the ground. That might have been the scariest individual moment that i've ever seen on a basketball court like with him having to get stretchered off like that where it's like all right it's not just his basketball future but like his actual future that i was worried about but the, thank god he's he's okay but I, I mean watching that in the media room like my heart just like started beating through my chest i was like oh my god like what just happened here uh so i'm really glad that those uh ended up looking worse than it ended up being although obviously it's still uh, i expect going to be pretty severe for him um yeah so wiggins featured prominently for me he's at least up to last year's levels and now, after that one game i'm gonna go with russell westbrook here uh, paul is is in there also just because he played so poorly before he got hurt um he'd probably be 92, but 48 true shooting for russell westbrook i mean that is just atrocious and he's hit he'll have a, a good game every now and again shooting the ball it's like all right he's turned the corner and uh, no he, he's really gonna continue to struggle uh and it's all the more disappointing because this okc team could be like a monster if he could just hit a shot and I'm just so worried about if he's not going to shoot better in the playoffs. I mean, it's just, it's going to be a big struggle for them,
1: right? I mean, you have Paul George with his wonderful season and and their defense has been fantastic and Russ, you know, his his I think he's better also materially defensively but his you know, he does get a lot of steals sometimes that can be overstated as a part of an overall defense, but I think he's done a good job. Yeah, and Russell Westbrook. I, I don't have the the Markel Fultz stats handy and I mean people went crazy when I tweeted this, but I mean he's shooting 30% on jump shots this here. And I believe that's right around what Marco Fultz was shooting. And I think Westbrook will be better than that. I, I don't think that he is a a Fultzian jump shooter now, but he's taken almost 400. Like we're, we're getting we're getting into some sample here. And he's shooting 24% from 3. And if teams can just go under or just let him shoot and bail and bait him out. I mean, we saw that at the end of the the game against Minnesota. Like he chose to take those shots instead of Paul George. And so there is a meaningful opportunity cost there as well. And we know playoff opponents are going to attack that if it's if it stays true, and we don't know if it will, but if it does, that's a huge problem.
0: Yeah, Marco Foltz was on there last year. The news of this injury actually makes me feel a little bit better about him as far as a, a disappointment that there is a, a understanding of why that may be. Jalen Brown was on the list. He's really turned it around in the last month or so. LaMarcus Aldridge was 421st in RPM uh, and under 50% true shooting. We checked on him and last year. He's completely blown up. I think he's up to 55% true shooting now, which is uh, absolutely crazy what he's on the last one to get from under 50% up to there. Um, Josh Jackson, I wasn't a believer in him, but he's been even below my expectations, 47% true shooting for him. And then Lonzo really has not taken any kind of a step forward as a shooter. That's That's been a big disappointment for me, but I, I'll go with Russell Westbrook here uh, as uh, my number one most disappointing player so far this season.
1: I want to give you LaMarcus Aldridge's numbers for the month of December. 23 points, seven rebounds, 63% true shooting on 29% usage as the Spurs were the, the best, the best offense in the NBA and the eighth best defense. I think no maybe not over on the month of December for eighth best defense. I think they were like 11th or 12th, but that is completely ridiculous. Like that, those are, those are awesome numbers. I want to mention two other guys. They're, they're young guys that I thought would maybe not necessarily take a huge step forward this year, but they've taken a step back. OG Ananobi has a huge drop in his free throw attempt rate. And he's also taking fewer shots at the rim and more floaters. So I need to watch him more, but that's, that's a little bit concerning. You know, yeah, he's making fewer threes, but that can happen. And then sort of a similar story with Donovan Mitchell. He's getting to the line, the basket a little bit less and, you know, dropped from 64% at the rim to 60%. So the jump shot, again, that 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 can come and go. We'll, we'll see where, where the equilibrium is there. But those sorts of kind of aggressiveness numbers are something that I try to look for. And both those guys were so strong in that last year that if, you know, if, if that's not a jumping off point or at least the baseline, it's a little bit concerning.
0: Also a little bit, concerning is when you just don't have the right sneakers or even worse if you pay a bunch of money for sneakers online and you get something that's not authentic goat.com can solve that they're the safest way to buy and sell authentic sneakers uh, online the largest marketplace in the world for authentic yeezys jordans and over 600 sneaker listings i got an awesome pair of kamikaze twos the old sean kemp sneaker on there worn it to a few games uh, got some compliments on it they only accept sellers with the best reputation, and they verify all sneakers to ensure their authenticity. Every detail is inspected, the stitching, the color to the size and weight. There are people who work for them that even know what a pair of Jordans is supposed to smell like, and they certify that every pair of sneakers matches exact factory specifications. So you can find the perfect 100% authentic sneaker at goat.com slash cap space. That's goat.com slash cap space. These are slash cap space because we talk about it all the time here on the program. Go there right now. Now, before the sneakers you want are gone, that's go, goat.com slash cap and let them know that slash cap space URL that you came from us. All right, what's our next
1: category here? Oh, uh, we'll go to a, a Nate Duncan favorite that I'm starting to really enjoy—Dunk Uh Dunk of the Month. Really, you like dunks? What, well, no, like it, like going through going through and ranking them <laughs> and that whole process. I've always liked them, but you know, going through the 15-minute videos. And honestly, for people who haven't done it yet, that is an enjoyable thing to just go through all of them. And then you get sometimes cranky with which ones they show four replays of and which ones only get one replay and all that kind of stuff. So I split I split
0: my into into two things. There, that that's more like you is enjoying finding something to get
1: cranky about that's both of us but so I I wanted to (laughs) so I separated out because I'm a big fan of dunks that are that kind of overcome contact I think that's just something so I drew a separate line for the non-contact division and so these are just nice dunks that there wasn't as much of an impediment my favorite there was Aaron Gordon's overhead like behind his head tip dunk like that's just that's just a crazy technical thing to do and like he was moving away from the basket that was a really nice one the other two John Collins had a one-handed Tip dunk over someone, but the person wasn't really an impediment. He just kind of ignored that they were there. And then Jason Tatum had a gorgeous one-handed putback. I think it was lefty that he got in in a Celtics game. So those were my favorite non-contact division ones, and they're not in my top list because even though the degree of difficulty on the AG one was high, I just I just like it so much better if they had to have to go through and notice the difference between through and not by somebody because a lot of dunks that people like, oh, the person's jumping, but it didn't actually affect them as much.
0: Yeah, I I agree on that one so here's some of my favorites KD against the Raptors at home going behind the back and then dunking on Ibaka the crowd like couldn't be bothered to give a shit about that dunk it was awesome but they were down by 16 and also like KD just can't get any applause there it's always like he got like less applause for that than like a garden variety Steph three um but that was unbelievable with the move at the beginning and then dunking all over his former teammate Ibaka good shot blocker for the end one Josh Okogi on the back of Troy Williams who like actually did a great job of contesting this alley-oop and Okoge just went over the top of him and dunked on him uh nemanja Bielica. there's a we should have what like an underdog dunk of the month so i'm not sure which one happened it was it was certainly before it in the montage but jaron jackson blew by him and dunked on him with the left so Bielica came down the lane and did like a mini Dominique, like two-hand, pull it to the side off of one foot and just dunk right back on Jaron Jackson. That was awesome. Um, that's probably actually my number three of the month. Lowry Markinen coming down the lane on Nikola Vucevic, he took off from like outside the dotted line and went right through Vuce's body. And uh, then James Harden with the right hand on Rudy Gobert was unbl. Like I don't even recall Harden ever dunking with his right hand before and he dunked on the best rim protector in the NBA uh, and I will save my number one uh, for just a bit later here.
1: So my number one is actually the the Belita Be dunk. I loved that dunk, and because I give oh, I give so I give Jaron so much respect as a shot as a defensive player and a shot blocker that to me that ratchets it up. But I'll mention a couple of the other great ones. The the I was watching this game live. The Pelicans Mavericks game had just this series of ridiculous dunks. So oh, yeah. so Dennis Smith caught Julius Randall with one of my favorite dunks of the month. But then the best one right after Anthony Davis blocked. Dennis Smith trying to trying to dunk a different one. Solomon Hill gets all over Maxi Kleba. And I love Kleba because he and Jared Allen are like my two favorite, just going after everything type guys. And so they get dunked on a lot, but it's because they're going for as many shots as they do. So the Solomon Hill dunk was just nasty. Like he, he, he Kleba caught him, you know, a few a, a fair amount before the dunk, and he still made it anyway. But then my other two in the top three, one of which did not occur in the NBA's montage, I actually checked the date to make sure it occurred in December and it did and it was one we saw in person and that was Avery Bradley's tip dunk at the very end of Clippers Warriors which actually tied the game it was I think it was over Clay. Clay did a shitty job boxing him out which happens and Avery Bradley I think was a miss by Montrezl Harrell and he just went over him got the dunk and so that gave the Clippers a tie it tied the game with 20 seconds to go and then my number two required by law to be at least that high is the Mario Zonia over Giannis dunk with the step over I mean it was it wasn't as I, I understand my bias i understand all that but it was great and the step over i usually try not to consider that type of thing but the degree of player quality going the opposite way of the iverson lou step over made it so much funnier to me because it just confirmed so many great things
0: dude i was sitting next to kawakami last night after you left and Hazonia went off for like two dunks and like 10 straight points in garbage time last night and you left early to go do your writing because it was a blowout and so you missed the whole thing. It was it was really too bad. Uh, you should go back and watch his highlights from uh, from last night.
1: My only comment is that I left with a minute 30 to go so that I, I saw all of that other than oh there was one weird thing at the very end that I missed but yeah I, I actually the reason I stayed for that game was because of Izonja like it was because, and, and ah. actually I thought that it would be a really fun fourth quarter and it ended up being that way also because of plague just going kind of crazy which was, it was it was it was the Knicks are a, a fascinating and fun garbage time team
0: so my number one is Giannis on Blake Griffin he just knocked him backwards this is Blake Griffin like one of the strongest guys in the NBA Giannis just knocked him back and then just dunked all over his head. I mean it's we're becoming inured to what Giannis is doing especially like his dunks around the rim when he's just like doesn't even have a head start I mean he's he's the the biggest dunker I think since Shaq I mean, Dwight Howard would be in that category too but Howard even wasn't quite as nimble didn't get the extension that Giannis does couldn't dunk it with both hands the way Giannis could I mean and we just Shaq was just so big that we just eventually became inured to the idea that he's just gonna dunk all over people like three times a game but I mean that Giannis one on Blake was just like the ultimate disrespect so uh, he takes it again for me my number two would probably be Harden uh, on Gobert uh, that right hander Um, like Harden doesn't really he doesn't really go over guys he kind of like Sneaks it in around him. Like he doesn't get the same elevation.
1: Yeah, Kawhi so actually I, I, had I two of find those his too. Dunks
0: as entertaining. Like Kawhi
1: had two lefty sneak attack dunks, yeah. which got in the montages, and I'm like, well, you know, they were nice, but he he went before and around them. And they were they were good, but they, they weren't in the same category to me as yeah, like the, the solo Hill dunk. Yeah, and I'm and the Giannis dunk was ridiculous. You're you're right that we're becoming desensitized to just how, how insane he is. And also, I'm maybe it's because I'm I'm not 6'6 or, or taller, but I I'm I have a soft spot for like guys like Dennis Smith getting up and going after somebody much bigger than them. Oh, yeah, I, I like I love like those so it's dunks more.
0: OK, uh, best win of the month.
1: This was not as strong. I think uh, a campaign just also partially because of some injuries making games weird. And but what I went with was and these are for me for from the end of December or sorry from the end of November to now because it kind of gets hard to separate and so I chose the Raptors beating the the Bucks in Milwaukee 123 116 that was a game that Kyle Lowry didn't play in it also was a reminder of just how good Kawhi can be individually you know how dominant he can be the remind and and why this game is number one for me is like oh yeah even though they were playing without Lowry and we talked on the 1560 about how they kind of scuffled without him but they were still able to create so many problems for what has been the league's best team so far. So I gave it to that. My honorable mentions, the Nuggets beating the Raptors 95-86. That game gets demerited a little bit because both Lowry and Van Vliet missed it. So the, the Rock, sorry, the Raptors offense was a little bit out of sorts and that helped that you know, facilitated Denver who was playing without Millsap and Harris, of course, on their own right. And then Rockets over Warriors, which I'll bring up at a different point, was impressive. You know, it's like, oh yeah, they do that. But for me, the game that really, I'm like, okay, they they figured this out was actually when they beat the Celtics. They was 127-113, they handled them. I believe the Celtics were relatively healthy for that game. I think it was their current starting five and all that type of stuff and the Rockets just handled them. I was very impressed with that. I
0: went with the Spurs just housing the Sixers 123 to 96. And more even just because it's representative of the crazy number of blowout wins that they've had in the last uh, just over a a month or so. I thought the Jazz winning by 30 at the Blazers, but I kind of like the ones that tie into a narrative a little bit. Certainly the Lakers destroying the Warriors on Christmas is good, but the Warriors losing big games at home also to the Raptors is kind of, they're not as intimidating at home as they used to be apparently. Uh, And uh, another one I wanted to say is the Pacers just beating the Bucks by 16 at home really winning that game very comfortably they held Giannis to a, a season low 12 points uh but yeah Spurs over Sixers uh, would be it uh just because it's emblematic of what the Spurs did this month uh worst loss i have a number of good contenders here and i think the obvious one to me especially given how well the Spurs played the rest of the way was Spurs blowing a 20 point lead and losing at home to the bulls who at that point in time i mean the bulls have been a little more respectable lately but at that point in time i mean the bulls were fresh off the uh boiling drama at a near mutiny. And it was just they led by 20 and somehow to like give up a 20 point lead against a team that's that offensively punchless is just pathetic.
1: Yeah, that's a really good pick. And I, I think part of the reason why I like that one so much is because it somehow compounds another one that I had as a nominee on the list. And that was the Bulls Giving up that nineteen zero start to Boston, which basically got Fred Hoiberg fired, and so I think it was in a week. It was within a week after that happened that the Bulls just like have this totally random come.
0: Wait a minute, I thought I thought that Boston game when they lost by fifty six was boiling, wasn't that the one where they then did the practice, or was there some I- other? Because yeah, and that wouldn't have been this month either. Yeah, that was that was in the oh, Boylan era because Boylan came in. December oh, okay. 3rd.
1: Well, either way, that game that game was just abysmal. So I I guess in my head I I combined them.
0: They lost by yeah. fifty six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when a loss inspires you to the mutiny. To that's what. Yeah. That practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, they'll go to a practice after a back to back, and then cause a mutiny. Certainly got to be in there. uh Another one that's got to be in there is Sixers at Blazers. I believe based on the reporting that this was after the infamous Butler film session, but Embiid didn't play due to knee soreness. They got blown out by like 30 and Butler played terribly after this film session that apparently like, you know, was enough that it ended up getting reported. So I am going to stick with the Spurs losing to the Bulls, uh, but I think that Celtics-Bulls game and Sixers-Blazers are also uh, quite, quite noteworthy.
1: I want to mention one more nominee and it it, it might get lost in the shuffle a little bit after the much more memorable, Minnesota win in OKC, but the the Thunder losing 116-98 at home to the Wizards without John Wall and Markeith Morris. OKC's bench got absolutely slacked in that game. Schroeder negative 32 in 16 minutes. Abdel Nader negative 20 in 14 minutes. And just Yeah, the Wizards have been feistier than I expected after John Wall was out, but holy crap, is that a bad win for a team that is going to be battling for seeding the whole rest of the way? I mean, right now, you're sitting there with, okay, uh, the Thunder have 15 losses, Rockets have 16, Nuggets have 12, Blazers have 17, you know, like, there are a bunch of teams in that range. That win, or sorry, that lack of a win against the team that they should beat at home could end up being really important.
0: Somehow, they gave up a buck 16 to a team that shot 10 out of 37 from three and they're supposed to be the number one defense in the NBA. Jan Mahimi was plus 29. Chasson Randall was plus 30. I mean, come on, man. That is that is really bad. I, I agree with you. It uh, doesn't have quite the same narrative punch, though, uh, sadly. I know narrative has become like this buzzword that people, like, you, you're not allowed to say anymore because, you know, that that's like what when people are defending their crappy player on their local team, they always just accuse people of buying into the narrative uh, about that player. But I, I think when you're talking about this particular subjective category, you're allowed to consider the narrative. Uh, another honorable mention here, the Wolves losing at home in OT to the Hawks. That was one of the losses that Glenn Taylor cited in firing Tibbs. So whenever it features prominently in the coach getting fired, like Cleveland losing at home to the Hawks, well, don't lose at home to the Hawks if you don't want to get fired, I guess, uh, is the lesson there. because so that happened at Tyloo also. Uh, game of the month, unless you have any other ones there.
1: No, I'm good with going to game of the month. So in many ways, the most fun. So like a couple of the game of the month's involved were games that I attended. So that gets a little bit more complicated. And my favorite game was actually Warriors Kings. It was more fun to me just because that was the NBA record for most made three pointers in a game, 41 it was completely wild had a had an ending like that but it wasn't the best game for me the the one that was the the runner up a uh, game that i absolutely loved was bucks at raptors so this was the first of the two times they played during this time period milwaukee won late it was a really fun exciting game between two teams that could very well face off in the eastern conference finals and the number one for me was warriors rockets one of the most memorable games that i've covered golden state goes out to that lead It looks like they're going to get pretty comfortable harden goes completely bananas takes back the 20 point 20 point lead hits the completely insane shot to win the game it was it was just it was just popcorn like uh, just a great popcorn game and being able to see it live did really ratchet up for me
0: yeah blazers warriors was another one of those with dame hitting that huge shot after golden state was trailing i think by 10 with under five minutes to go they got back into it uh two games involving the suns actually deserve mention uh magic suns was on track that was a crazy game until overtime was won by the suns When they went four like over
1: 21
0: so <laughs> after that uh I, I was like oh this is definitely a candidate and then the overtime was just so sorry uh and then triple overtime 149 146 uh wizards beating the suns uh at home that, that was a pretty good one those uh, towards the end uh, of john wall's season this year but yeah i mean that rockets at warriors uh, has got to take it for uh game i guess that was technically this month but uh within our time period to be sure uh okay let's see what we got next here we are close to done. Let's take a look at our predictions. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So my trend that would continue was Milwaukee's rim domination. They were, you know, both ends of the floor attempts percentage. They were doing it. Those have been toned down a little bit, but they're still completely ridiculous. You know, they're top. They're last when I put in the stats, they were top three on both on the defensive end, low opponent field goal percentage and all that. So that I, I would say that's overall been been pretty correct. You know, it's not they're not sterling, but they're really damn good
0: my trend from last month that would continue was that golden state would not enter the top 10 in three-point attempt rate even with steph curry back in december i was completely wrong they are fourth in three-point attempt rate since december 1st steve Kerr made that pronouncement that they weren't getting enough threes after their game in detroit and they have totally turned that around taking a lot more three-pointers uh so i was absolutely wrong there Uh, my pick for the thing that would turn around was that the clippers would Drop significantly in e field goal percentage defense. I can't remember they're like first or second at that point in time, and that in fact was correct. They are twentieth in e field goal percentage defense since December.
1: My trend that was an aberration was Denver's opponents in the first month plus of the season were just missing a ton of threes. They were below opponents were below thirty two percent, and they were taking a high number of attempts. The high number of attempts continued, but they started making a more reasonable rate. You know, thirty five and a half percent. So that's you know tenth tenth lowest. So that's a pretty big jump, and Denver. Denver was actually 22nd in defensive rating during the month of December, but considering their injuries, I have no opposition to that. I just wanted to mention it is just kind of a thing to think about. Um, my monthly trend that is an aberration, this is a December only thing, but it's worth talking about. Oklahoma City in the month of December forced turnovers on 19.2% of opponent possessions. Yeah, they could absolutely lead the league. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Oklahoma City leads the league, but 19.2% is almost inconceivable. Like, that's a fifth of a team's possessions to turn the ball over. It's like- incredible
0: yeah and that's something that we had seized on early after the first month or so with the Grizz they were right at that same 19 percent mark and uh, they in fact it did fall down and while their offense has been the bigger problem I think getting fewer turnovers has been part of their offensive issue and and their defense hasn't been as good uh my prediction for a trend that will continue I predict that Cleveland and New York will have the two worst net ratings in the NBA between now and the next time we do this which will probably be guessing probably sometime in late February. uh, and then we'll just then we'll have our end of the year because February is so few games and there's the all-star break and stuff. So probably towards the end of there to get a full, a little bit more than a month's worth, be pretty consistent. I mean, we've kind of done it every, you know, five, six weeks or so here. So that's probably when we'll be doing it again. Uh, but yeah, I'm predicting that Cleveland and New York will have the two worst net ratings in the NBA between now and the next time that we do this. What do you think of that
1: one? Uh, I think that's totally fine. I mean, we saw the Knicks last <laughs> night and their defense is so terrible. I, I actually man. regretted... I regretted a little bit that we, when we recorded on them in the 15 and 60, I, I actually was sitting there watching being like, maybe I was a little bit too nice to Kevin Knox, even though I was critical of him just because he took some absolute, just abysmal shots in that game, but their defense overall was bad and moving Ennis Canner to the bench hasn't helped. Now getting Mitchell Robinson back at some point will be, I, I think will be somewhat beneficial just because he's an intimidator around the pain and his block rate has been pretty good this year, been great this year.
0: Well, one and thing on Mitchell to- Robinson, by the way, I, I, he's, you know, not renowned for his outside shooting to be sure, but he struggled from the free throw line this year. And he also has a groin injury. So all of these caveats apply here. But he had pregame, I would say, the worst shooting performance that I've ever seen from an NBA player. I took a video of it just to like and I was like, this is so bad, I'm like not even gonna tweet this out. That's like I almost felt bad for the guy. Like, He's shooting from like fourteen feet, and every other shot was like going over the rim and like hitting the backboard from like the elbow. It was like you like wasn't even close on some of these shots. His form looked pretty off, and you know, maybe that's just because he has this ankle and this grind thing, but uh I'm uh let's just say I don't believe that he will ever be much of a shooter outside of the rim area, which he may not need to be. Uh, you know, there's plenty of guys who fall into that category uh but i mean he was even like even someone like you know a clink capella or someone like that is like an order of magnitude beyond where he was also i i knox was interesting i tracked his three pointers before the game which i'll do sometimes with young guys just to get an idea and a larger sample of where they're at as a shooter and he was 41 out of 81 on some very easy attempts you know like steph curry for example uh, a few years ago csn boston tracked him his warm-ups and he shot like 61 percent in his warm-ups but he's t- you know going through all these crazy dribbling moves and going like you know probably 80% speed whereas Knox was maybe going 50% speed and it was a lot of just straight catch and shoots or like very basic dribble stuff so that's not amazing that uh, makes me think that his 38% three point shooting that he's not there right now as a uh, as a shooter so we'll see I mean let's go to just had a bad day you never know but that's that's a little bit more information than maybe we can glean in game so that's why I I give it to you it's not gospel but it's something to uh, consider there Um, we're were we?
1: So I have one prediction left. and I think you do too. Mine is the one that will continue and that is Atlanta's offensive rebounding. So remember at the beginning of the season, they didn't have John Collins and then they brought back John Collins and they're still, you know, when they have healthy centers playing him next to centers, they were number one in offensive rebounding in December 33% of their misses. Yeah, probably not going to continue with 33%, but it looks like they're going to play John Collins next to a big lot of time. They're going to grab a ton of their own misses and they'll probably have plenty of misses to grab.
0: Huh. Interesting. Okay. Uh, my is Donovan Mitchell, who's about 50% true shooting right now, he's going to have a lot of pressure on him now to create more, like in last year's playoffs with Exum out and Rubio out. I'm going to predict, hopefully this is not just hopeful, that he's going to rise to the occasion at least somewhat, and then he's going to have 53% true shooting or above uh, from now until the next time that we do this. So last last season overall, he was 54%. This isn't a crazy prediction, but I think that he can get back to last year's level or so, even given that he's going to have a little bit more creation response. And here's a a little bonus one. Since Jim Boylan took over on December 3rd, the Bulls are 30th in offense for cleaning the glass. Their 100.5 offensive rating is last in the NBA by 1.5 points per 100. They are 13th in defense, but offensively, last in free throw rate, 28th in offensive rebound, 29th in turnovers, which is crazy considering how slow they play, although part of that is sometimes if you shoot it earlier, you shoot it before you have a chance to turn it over in a possession, and then 25th in E field goal percentage. I'm going to predict that they will be 25th or above in offense over this next stretch and 15th or below in defense. Now, they do have a big road trip coming up. Maybe that's just, I should have looked at the schedule maybe a little bit more, but uh, I don't think the defense is going to sustain but i do think the offense will at least get above being just so terrible
1: that's interesting yeah i haven't looked at their schedule either so we'll we'll see how that how that goes okay since this is the last podcast of the weekend i mentioned a couple things that are coming out indubitably so my real gym radio with sam bassini on the draft process we talked about the kind of some of the risers into the lottery on his board guys that i haven't seen much so it was interesting to get his perspective on it that will come out probably on wednesday night you might be able to have access to it by the time you listen to this and the continue- Continuation of my series for the athletic, kind of separating out the 30 NBA teams by what type of team they're going to be in the 2019 offseason. So I did the cap space teams previously. This will be the low cap space teams, and then the teams that are gonna operate between the that are gonna be over the cap but under the tax. So those two pieces are coming out, and then the, the tax teams will come out next week. So you'll have the whole sequence, and then I'm gonna start doing kind of more player-centric previews over the next month and just kind of setting in everything there. That was that's my been my vision for it. and. Then and of course, the deadline will factor into all that. But the team-specific part of it will be done by this time next week.
0: All right. Uh, we will talk to you all next week. Hopefully, our over-two-hour podcast yesterday can uh, give you enough content, even though we're only doing four episodes this week. We will talk to you all on Sunday night. Till then.